Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you, Lord, again for the cross of Calvary. May we never take it lightly. May we never take it for granted. And Lord, we lift up our time in your word tonight. We thank you that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, as we're all here by divine appointment, Lord, that our hearts would be softened and prepared to receive from you tonight. Lord, I pray as we go to your word that it would do more than touch us right now, but Lord, it would impact us tomorrow. May we walk in the fullness of your spirit. May you be our teacher this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. If you're new here or visiting, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. We're all a part of the body of Christ, and we're just really glad you're here. Kind of a summer-like crowd tonight. We get to know each other. That's a good thing. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 4 for this coming Sunday. Lord willing, we'll be looking at the entire chapter. Uh, Also, while you're turning, be praying. We should know this week the outcome of what's going to happen here with the building situation. As most of you know, uh, we've asked for... uh, to bring some portables in for the children's ministry, some other things that we feel like we need to really be able to minister to the body here. And if that doesn't happen, we're, we're already currently and actively looking at other buildings. So just be praying about that. God's in control. And whatever He has for us, I mean, you look at the building situation, you think, man, there's not much out there. But you know what? God knows. God's faithful. He's sovereign. We trust Him. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, to catch you up just briefly, we're looking at the life of David. And David is now in the time where he's on the run. And for 10 years, he's going to be living out in the wilderness. Now, prior to this, we know that David was anointed king as a young man. He was anointed king even when his own father didn't think much of him. He left him out in the field. That's the chapter, chapter 13 which says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. We know then that even after being anointed king, he continued to be faithful just to watch over the sheep. Right about that time, as we know, Saul had had the kingdom ripped from him, and a distressing spirit came upon him. We've been looking at the clear contrast between David and Saul, the king of the flesh and the king of the spirit, a contrast that we can see in our own lives. So then we see that David is called by the king to come and play before him, because when this distressing spirit is upon him, the, he, you know, he's just in such agony and in such torment, he says, find somebody who can come and play worship that I might be relieved, play music. And so they say, well, there's a young shepherd boy on whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And David comes filled with the Spirit and begins to play worship, and the distressing spirit leaves. What a contrast, a Spirit-filled man and a man who is plagued by an evil one. We then know that David, as we saw last Sunday, if you were here, he slayed Goliath the giant. When everybody else was cowering in fear, when King Saul, their, their champion that they had cried out for, the king that was head and shoulders above everybody else, wimped out and didn't do what he was supposed to do because he was afraid that his life would end, David shows up, says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes, comes against my God? David is a young man who saw from a spiritual perspective, not a physical one, and that's why God used him in such a mighty way. So he slays the giant, and it would seem that David would be Right then, the king. Because then he goes out and he wipes out much of the Philistine army. He chases them. They run away from him. And then the women begin to sing songs about him. You know, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And certainly this is the man God has, and indeed he is. But in the midst of all of that, King Saul, with a distressing spirit, a man who is following not after God, but truly is a tool of the devil, 
starts pursuing David. He wants him dead. Why does he want him dead? Because he realizes God's hand is on David and it's not on him. This is what we will find in the world when we're walking with God. When you walk with God, the world will not like it. Your very presence around them brings conviction. Now, we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And we should never be arrogant or self-righteous about anything because apart from Him, there's no good in me and no good in you. But in the midst of all that, as David just simply is a faithful man of God, every time God uses him, all it does is make Saul more and more angry. Now, Saul starts to get want to get vengeance. He starts to throw spears at David, as we know. He then, his own family has turned against Saul and to help David. His son, Jonathan, becomes David's best and closest friend. His daughter is married to David and warns him when Saul is coming to attack him. But yet David is still not king. When we get to chapter 21, we see that the pressure finally gets to David. David now having lost his, his family, his ability to go into the tabernacle and to worship, his ability to just be around the people that he was called to be the king over, the arrows get shot past, if you remember that study. And I want to encourage you to get, grab that chapter 20. And so the arrows are shot past, which means he cannot go back. That yes, indeed, Saul wants to kill him. And it begins at 10 years in the wilderness. And David, for the first time, blows it. If you'll remember, he goes to Nob. And when he gets there, he, he comes to Ahimelech, the priest. And instead of sharing the truth with him, he tells him a lie. That he's on the king's business. He seeks only physical provision, not spiritual intervention or prayer. And what happens then is he takes those things from the priest. There's Doag the Edomite is there. And Doag sees him there. And later when King Saul is you know, calling the, his, his followers hypocrites, how come you're not helping me out? Why aren't you guys on my side? You know, for King Saul, it was always all about him. And finally, Doag speaks up and says, well, I've seen David. And he was with Ahimelech and Nob. And we know what happens. He goes there. King Saul goes there, calls for Ahimelech, brings him unto himself, and when he does, he finds out that Ahimelech had helped David. And Ahimelech dared to speak good of David. David's a man of God. Why, why shouldn't I help him? He's your greatest warrior. He's loyal to you, king. And then he cried out, Saul did, to have all the priests put to death. His own men wouldn't do it, so Doag the Edomite turned and slayed them all with a sword. David, heartbroken, when he finds out that his sin impacted the priest. Guys, our sin will always impact those we love the most. Amen? When we sin, when we blow it, it impacts those around us. And that's exactly what happened in the life of David. So we saw in chapter 21 that fear indeed is the enemy of faith. And then last week we saw that deep in faith through difficulty, through the difficulties of life, coming to that place of desperation, David finally cried out to the Lord and got right with him. So coming to tonight's chapter, we're going to see the continued work that God is doing in refining David. Because it looked prior to this 10-year period like he was already the man. And it seems now like he's being unfairly punished. But he's not being punished, he's being prepared. And if you're here tonight and you're going through a wilderness time in your life and you're walking in obedience to the Lord, you can trust that God is not punishing you, but He is preparing you for something greater. If you're in the midst of real difficult time because of your own sinful behavior, those are the consequences of sin, and that's not God's fault. Amen? 
Those are two totally different things. So we're going to see how God is going to take, continue to take these trials in David's life and this difficulty as he's the anointed king, but not yet the appointed king. He's the called king, but not yet the crowned king. God still has 10 years of work he's going to do in this young man's life in preparing him to be the king of Israel. Now, as we get ready to get the outline, let me say this. The enemy wants you, in the midst of trials, to check out and do nothing till it's over. The enemy wants you to say, I'm in a tough time right now, so I need to pull back from everything, stop being used by God, do absolutely nothing, and when this is over, then God will use me again. David is hiding in a doolum. He's got those 400 misfits with him that we saw came to him in the previous chapter, the discontented, the indebted. I mean, what kind of army is that? They all come running to David because they know he can relate. They know that he's going through a tough time as well. They're hiding out in a cave, and the easiest thing for David to do would be to spend the next 10 years in the cave and wait until Saul dies. Then there will be no trials, no difficulty, but the Lord doesn't want us hiding out in a cave. He doesn't want us burying our talents in the sand in the midst of a difficult time. So if you're a note-taker tonight, Title of the message is A Godly Response to the Trials of Life. And there are nine points. I know it's a lot. Number one, look for opportunities to minister to others. In the midst of the trials of life, don't hide out, but be looking out for an opportunity to minister to others. Number two, ask God for direction. If you're in the middle of a tough time, you need to be seeking the Lord. We need to seek the Lord in the midst of a great time. Amen? But always be seeking the face of our Savior. Number three, obey God rather than man. When you're in the midst of trials, people will have a lot of opinions for you. They'll have a lot of ideas for you. A lot of input on how you should get over what you're going through. And you know what? We need to obey God, not man. Number four, don't be surprised when people turn on you. You're in the midst of a trial. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world and people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And even some people who know God act like for a moment they don't know God. Amen? Don't be surprised when people turn on you. Number five, know that the enemy never rests. You may stop and sit back and wait. The enemy doesn't. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's after you 24-7. Now, oh, oh, Pastor Dave, I didn't want to go. Oh, now I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? But know that there's an enemy out there who wants to destroy us. Number six, be knit together in fellowship with mature believers. A godly response to the trials of life is to press into fellowship, not isolate yourself. The enemy wants you to isolate yourself when trials come. God wants you to press press into fellowship. Number seven, take the way of escape. With all temptation, God makes a way of escape. And the, the godly response to the trials and temptations of life is to take the way of escape. Number eight, trust God to protect you and let the Holy Spirit refresh you. So let's begin in verse one of 1 Samuel 23, a godly response to the trials of life. Look for opportunities to minister to others. Now remember, at this point, David is with his men. He's in a safe place. Verse 1, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Now Keilah, the word means fortress, and this city was indeed a fortress. And these were believers within the tribe of Judah. 
in the tribe that belonged to David. And they were people that were in a fortress. And now they are at the end of their year. This is the end of their year where they've planted their harvest. They've watered their harvest. They've tended their harvest. Now they've actually taken up you know, all the wheat. They've taken it all up, all the grain. And now they've brought it to the threshing floor. They've separated the wheat from the chaff. And they've got an entire year's wages sitting there. And while it's sitting there, the Philistines look down and say, Hey, they've done an entire year's work. Let me go down there and just swoop down upon them and steal all the work they've had for an entire year. Let's decimate the people of Keilah. Let's just wipe them out. And so that's what the Philistines want to do. Now, Keilah is a fortress city. It's a city with walls. It's a city with gates. Yet the Philistines are going into the land of promise with great boldness to go right into the city and to steal from the people. How in the world did the Philistines get so bold? Let me tell you how they got so bold. King Saul stopped being a king. King Saul stopped being the one to fight against the enemy. They had no doubt hurt what we know they had heard. Because David had showed up. If you'll remember, he shows up in the land of the Philistines in Gath and he acts like a madman. You remember? He was drooling down his beard so he could escape. Because of his lie, he'd put himself in, you know, he turned to the world for answers. King David turned to the world. When we turn to the world, we're going to end up just like David. Drooling all over ourselves and looking like idiots, right? And that's exactly what happens to David. So the, the Philistines knew this was our biggest foe, the guy we worried about the most. Well, we don't have to worry about him anymore. And King Saul is so worried about killing David that nobody's watching the people. So let's just swoop down and take an entire... Can you imagine if you only got paid once a year and you're walking out of your office and someone came up behind you and hit, hit you in the back of the head with a club and took your paycheck for the year and that you weren't going to get paid? That's exactly what's happening. And so the word comes to David. Now, why to David? Again, because Saul is no good. Saul is no longer being the king he's supposed to be. And so they turn to the one who they know has defeated the Philistines. They turn to the one they know has in the past been extremely faithful. And they turn to David looking for someone who can go and attack the Philistines and rid them of the the one who is bringing the conflict and bringing the harm upon the people. I want you to notice something too. When God's people are fighting with each other, the enemy is going to swoop in. David and Saul, not because of David, but because of Saul, are in battle against each other. Saul's got a one-track mind, kill David. And Saul is so worried about killing David that he's missing out on doing what God's called him to do. The body of Christ needs to stop fighting with each other. We're on the same team. The people down the church down the street are not our competition. They're not our enemy. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And instead of fighting with them about the non-essentials, why don't we get together and go out and reach the people that desperately need Jesus in Santa Cruz Holy Cross. Amen? And that's what, the, that's what we're about as the church. But what's happening here is Saul has turned against David. And because he has, the people are left without a king, without someone to watch over them, and down swoop the Philistines coming to attack, and they run to David. Now, if you're David, the easiest thing for you to do would be to say, dude, I got my own problems. Do you see I'm hanging out in the cave? Have you been paying any attention? The king's throwing spears at me, all right? And then I had to act like I was out of my mind in Gaff. And you know what? I blew it and not, you know, my, you know, hey, just, you know, go ask somebody else. And that's what we can do when we're going through trials of life and we see a ministry need right in front of us. We can say, oh, but my own life, I'm in just too much difficulty myself. 
I'd love to reach out and minister to somebody, but you got to understand, I'm going through a really tough time. Uh, if you only do ministry when your life is perfect, you'll never do ministry. Amen? Amen. We need to be willing to step out even when things aren't perfect. And one of the things that helps us in the midst of trials is to get our eyes off the trials and get our eyes on the people around us and have the heart of a servant to reach out to them in love. They come to David. He's in the cave. It would have been very easy for him to just say, hey, you know, guys, go find someone else. The enemy wants to destroy me. He's got, he's got the king on his own side. But I love that David does not respond that way. You know, he went through a trial and not, but he obviously learned something. Because he's going to have a godly response. He's not going to say, poor me. You know, the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Guys, instead of having an inward focus, we need to have an upward focus and an outward focus. Amen? Amen. First and foremost, upward, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, setting our mind on things above, and then having the heart of a servant. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to go home and contemplate ourselves. We contemplate ourselves way too much. Amen? I'm always on my mind. I'm always thinking about me. How about you? Amen? I need to stop thinking about me so much. I won't be so depressed, right? And that's the problem. And so here's David, and he doesn't respond that way. He learned something, because when he went to Nob, he was self-focused. It became a disaster. Look at verse 2, and notice how he responds. So how does David respond? A godly response to the trials of life? Number two, ask God for direction. Verse 2, therefore David inquired of the Lord. Amen, David. Good job. That's exactly what you need to do. Inquire of the Lord. And he says, shall I go and attack these Philistines? David sees the need and he takes it to the Lord. Guys, this is what we need to do. When we see a need in somebody else or in the body of Christ and we recognize the need, we need to take it to the Lord. The need is not necessarily a sign of calling, recognizing the need, but a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. And when we start to recognize needs, you know, people will come up here, and they don't do it as much anymore because they know what's going to happen, but people will come up and say, well, Pastor Dave, you know what we really need around here? I'll go, no, what? What do we need? We really need a this. I go, great. You know what? Why don't you head that up? Oh, I didn't want to. Do, no. I saw the need. I, have, I don't want to fulfill it. I just saw the need, right? But here's the thing. When you see the need, pray. Amen? Bring it to the Lord. David sees the need, and he brings it to the Lord. Having learned from previous encounters where he stepped out in the flesh, he learned a lesson before when he made a mistake. He didn't move without hearing from the Lord this time. Instead, he brought it to the Lord. You know what? He could have used his his circumstances as a reason not to even pray. Could have told them, uh, go ask King Saul. He's your king, isn't he? Go ask him. He's the guy that's in charge. He's got a bigger, I got 400 misfits. He's got a whole army. Why don't you go ask him for help? And you know what? We can do that. When someone comes to us with a need, we can point them to someone else or we can bring it to the Lord. And then as the Lord leads, we can step out in faith. David would not use his circumstances or Saul's lack of faithfulness as a cop-out, but neither would he move without hearing from the Lord. Bible says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So he inquires of the Lord. He comes before the Lord and asks him, shall I go? Second half of verse 2. And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 
So that's pretty clear, isn't it? Now you might want to say, well, how did he know? How did God speak to him? Well, I believe we had one and a half you know, record of exactly how it happened. I believe he went to the priest. The priest inquired of the Lord for him and using the Urim and the Thummim, which were stones that they pulled out of the ephod. And God gave him clear direction and he went. He went to the priest seeking godly direction. You and I today go by our high priest seeking godly direction from the Father. Amen? And our high priest is Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he seeks direction. God gives him direction. And now he's got to respond to that direction. Now, understand, all of us have done this. We seek the Lord. He gives us direction. And now we've got to respond. Oh, wait a minute. I wanted to pray about it. I didn't really want to do anything about it. You know what I mean? I, I saw the need, but I didn't really want to have to do anything. I thought I wanted to pray that God would raise someone else up to do it. Oh, you want me to do Oh, I don't know about that. That's going, to be just, that's going to be a little uncomfortable for me to step out. You know, for King Saul, it's going to be, for King David, excuse me, not yet king, but, but the anointed king, to go out, it's going to be tough. David receives a very clear and direct command, and it's one thing to receive it and another to obey it. Verse 3. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. Dude, we're afraid hiding out in the cave. We're in the cave, we're afraid. You want us to leave the cave, be out where everybody can see us, and then go and attack some more people. We've already got our own people trying to kill us. King Saul already wants us dead. And you want us to go attack the greatest army on the planet, the Philist. So you want the Philistines and King Saul after us. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Is that the plan that you came up with, David? What are you thinking, man? I mean, now this is the response of his men. Nice army that he's got here. These are not, you know, they're going to be his mighty men later. They're not his mighty men yet. Okay? They're his woeful men right now. And they have to, you know, have some faith instilled in their hearts before they become the mighty men of God. Guys, in times of difficulty and trial, many will tell you what you need to do. And when you've heard from God, many will question or doubt the Lord's direction for your life. What, are you out of your mind? God did not tell you that. No, you shouldn't do that. Let me tell you what. Let's take a vote. Guys, don't take a vote. Amen? God trumps all votes, right? A million on this side, God on that side, God wins. You plus God is the majority. Amen? And so it's God's direction. And David has direction from the Lord, but his own guys, not so much. It says, how much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Dude, we're already afraid in Judah. If we go down and fight with them, we're going to... No. We don't... No, we don't want to do that. We got enough enemies of our own, man. Hey, we're already in debt. We're already discontented. You think this is going to help? So these bunch of misfits don't want to go. So David could have easily said, well, I prayed, I sought the Lord, but my guys don't want to go. So I I guess that's the Lord. I guess that's the Lord speaking through them, and I shouldn't go now. Be careful not to take the opinions of man too highly. Listen only to the Lord. Verse 4. Now what does David do? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And there's nothing wrong with this. He goes back to the Lord. My guys don't want to go. He goes back to the Lord, and he asks the Lord again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, Keilah, For I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now, listen. The word inquire there means to ask or to beg. He literally comes asking and broken before God. And David didn't ask, you know, again, put it up to a vote. But he sought the Lord yet again, 
Saul's after him. He knows all those things, but he comes to the Lord. And look what the Lord does. He tells him what he commanded him again, but now he gives him an even greater promise. Before, he just told him to go. Now he says, go, and I'll give you victory. When you get there, you're going to win. Go. And you know what? David now has a choice to make. He can listen to the Lord, or he can listen to his men. The Lord told him to go. And he not only reaffirmed the promise of the command from before, but he promised victory. And David faced greater odds before than this, right? Didn't David fight Goliath? If you were here on Sunday, he went out against 11 foot 750. You know, all teenage, I don't know, buck 30 of him with a rock in his hand. But you know what? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this time, I believe David would have gone if nobody else went. I truly believe that. David was going and he would go without him. But notice that David acts like a king and he has people following him like a king. They're following him into great odds, not because they're afraid of him. They're following him because they see God's hand upon him. So a godly, a godly response to the trials of life. Point number three, obey God rather than man. Verse five, and David and his men went to Keilah. What did David do? He obeyed. God told him to go and he went. And we might all go, well, duh, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, yeah, duh, that's what we're supposed to do. Anybody else hear the Lord give you clear direction and then not do it? If your hand's not up, now you're lying, too, on top of everything else. Because here's the point. God gives direction to our lives, and we constantly debate with God. We try to tell God he doesn't understand. Well, Lord, you don't, you know, you know Lord, I'm kind of going, you know, i got some stuff going on right now, and I just want to, children's ministry, oh, I don't think I can do that. It's just, you know, I don't think that's good. And we start arguing with God. That's not, that's not good, right? That's no better than, you know, Balaam arguing with the donkey, right? You know, I'm not comparing, you know, when he argues with the donkey, he's foolish because he's, when we argue with God, we're always wrong. Every single time. And so what happens here is he hears the voice of the Lord and he's faithful to obey the voice of the Lord and to go in face of great odds. Again, David had a choice to obey the faithless men or to obey a faithful God. And David chose God. And you and I need to do the same. His faith impacts others because, says David, and his men went to Keilah. Again, as his men, though fearful, went with him. Why? Because they saw God's hand upon David. And it says, And they fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So what happened? David obeyed and God brought victory. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. When we're disobedient, God's name is harmed and we face the consequences. Guys, it's so much better to obey. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed in the fat of rams. God is far more concerned with us just faithfully obeying Him than being really religious and keeping all the rituals. And Oh, I was baptized. Baptism, good. You should be baptized. But don't point to your baptism. Point to your faithful walk. That's what's important to the Lord is not just the outward appearance, but the inward change. This victorious Christian walk seeks the Lord, obeys His voice, and then is blessed to see the mighty hand of God at work. As Christians, you and I have absolutely nothing to fear because God is for us. So godly response to the trials of life, number one, look for opportunities to minister to others. Get your eyes off yourself, get them on the Lord, and on those around you who are in need. Number two, ask God for direction. 
Don't do anything until you hear from the Lord. Number three, obey God rather than man. And number four, don't be surprised when people turn on you. Verse six. Now it happened when Abiatar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now remember, Abiathar is the priest. He's the only priest that escaped Nob when the slaughter happened. So he has now become the priest to David, and he will be the priest to David going forward. He is the one, no doubt, that David had sought direction from when the word came to him about Keilah. Now the priest has come with him. And I love this because, for me, this is a picture of, in fact, that wherever we go, our priest goes with us. Our great high priest never leaves us, never forsakes us. His eyes are always upon us. We have access to the Father through the Son. Verse 7 and 8. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. God has delivered him into my hand. God has delivered the true and living king of Israel into the hands of a uh, demonically uh, tormented, disobedient, rebellious, uh, turned away from God king. That's what happened, right? You know what? We need to make sure that just because someone says God says that we don't believe it. People do that all the time, don't they? That's why you have the Bible in your hand. Because you need to check the words of men against the word of God. And just because he says God did it doesn't mean God did. Amen? And so check everything. Don't trust what men say. Trust indeed what God's word says. God has delivered him in my hand, for he has shut himself up by entering a town that has gates and bars. So Saul is... Israel's king, again, should have been contemplating a way to honor David, because what did he do? He just rescued one of his cities from the Philistines. Instead of wanting to honor David, he wants to kill him. Oh, great, David won a battle that I didn't go fight because I was a wimp and wasn't being the king. And now that he's done my job for me, let me go down there and kill him. He wouldn't go to Keilah to save Keilah, but now he'll go to Keilah to kill David. This is a really wonderful king, isn't it? King Saul, the king they cried out for. Remember, way back when they cried out for a king, he said, that king you cry out for, he's only going to bring you harm. He's going to take away your lands. He's going to put your people into bondage. He's going to tax you into the ground. And before it's over, you'll wish he wasn't king. And they said, oh, give us a king anyway. Because we want to be like the world. And we do the same. God in his word tells us, if we sin, the consequences will follow. And we say, we don't care. I want to do it anyway because we're more concerned with feeding our flesh than obeying God. We're more concerned about the immediate gratification than the long-term consequences. So it was indeed a fortress, as I said. And more than likely, it only had one gate, one way in, one way out. And Saul, knowing that, thinks he has David trapped. Now, he keeps forgetting that somebody's on David's side. He keeps kind of vapor-locking now. Uh, let me think. David and Goliath. What happened with Goliath? How'd that work out? What happened when he attacked all the... Oh, that's right. He won that battle too. What happened when I threw spears at him? I couldn't hit him from five feet away. How, you know, God's got his hand on David. And he should have understood that, but instead he wants to kill David because he knows that David indeed is going to take his place. Saul's problem is he looks at things from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. And it says in verse 8, Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Again, this fleshly-driven, pious leader tries to attempt to attribute 
This is God's hand delivering my enemy to me when the truth was that Saul was outside of God's will and David is indeed God's man. Verse 9. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, David knew that Saul meant evil. And what does he do again? What does he learn? He's learned, seek the Lord. Now, the obvious answer would be, oh, Saul's coming to kill me. Let's leave. Probably a good idea, right? But instead, he says, Saul's coming to kill me. Let's seek the Lord. You know what? My boss is out of control. I'm just going to quit. Seek the Lord. Before you quit, seek the Lord. Before you run away, seek the Lord. Before you do something different, make sure you've heard from God. Sometimes God wants us to stay. Amen? In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulty, that we might be salt and light. And so again, he brings the priest in. He inquires of the Lord. Again, this ephod where they would pull out the stones. Now, guys, I want to make this very clear. This was an Old Testament practice that God ordained. We do not use, you know, the magic eight ball, right? Right? Okay, Lord, bless this. You know, we don't do that. Amen? I've had people do that. Oh, I just, I asked God. I rolled some dice. Oh, stop. We have the word of God. Amen? We have the Holy Spirit. We don't, you know, throw sticks or anything like that. But in those days, this was the, you know, they didn't have the complete revelation that you and I have. And the priest used the ephod and he used it and he would bring it out. Now for us today, we don't say bring the ephod here. We say bring God's, we bring, bring the word of God here. I have a question. I need some direction. Open up your Bible, get on your knees, pray and spend some time in the word. And he will give you direction. You know, it's amazing how we struggle through life and we're just, our lives are a total disaster. And this question is always the same answer when our lives are falling apart. How much time are you spending in the Word? Uh, not, I'm, not, not very much. How's your prayer life? Well, it's, not, it's just not very good. Are you guys praying together at home as a family? No, we're not really. You know, but we're really struggling. Uh, gee, I wonder why. You know what? If we take God out of our home, don't be surprised when, it, when our home seems like God's not there. Amen? Amen? We need to make Him the central focus of our home. Guys, you need to be the spiritual leader in your household. Verse 10. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. I love that he says, O Lord God of Israel. He cries out to the Lord in prayer. But notice in these two verses, he refers to himself as a servant three times. He comes before the Lord, not presupposing, not demanding, not commanding. I see this on TV sometimes. People telling God, we don't tell God anything. Amen? Amen. We come humble and broken. Lord, I need some direction. Lord, help. That's a good prayer, by the way. Help, that's a good prayer. I love that one. You come before Him. Lord, show me Your direction. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, I'm Your humble servant. I can do nothing without You. For the sake of Your people, Lord, show me, help me, give me direction. And this is the heart of David. This is a man after God's own heart. David's described as that. No matter what his circumstances right now, he brings everything to the Lord. Sometimes we only pray when things seem impossible. But you know what? We should pray no matter what. Pray for everything. Amen. Everything come with supplication before God. Verse 12, Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? Now wait a minute. No, they're not going to do that, are they? 
David comes down to Keilah. These guys are being overrun by the Philistines. They're all going to be slaughtered, and all of their you know, wages for the entire year are going to be taken away for the few that might survive. David comes along with his men in obedience to the Lord after they cried out for his help. He delivers them from the Philistines. Now, certainly, they're not going to just turn him over to Saul, are they? What does it say? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Now, how disappointing must that have been? You know, Lord, I was in the cave. I had a bunch of afraid guys. I had to step out in faith. They came with me. You brought a miraculous victory. We're in this fortress now. Things seem good to us here. We're not living in a cave anymore. And now you're telling me these guys are going to turn us over to King Saul? You know what? When you're in the midst of trials, don't be surprised when people turn against you. Don't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, or people who are not walking with God act like they don't know God. David had been used by God to rescue them, but again, people around them were more worried about their own physical safety than walking in obedience to God. Because David was praying didn't mean the people were. Because David was hearing from God did not mean that the people were. And because they were not seeking the Lord, all they cared about was their physical circumstances. They cried out to David, not because they were seeking God, but because they knew he could help. And once he helped, they were done with him. Now Saul's coming, they go, hey, well, wait a minute. The people in Nob that helped David, he killed them. So we're not helping. Let's just kick him out of here. He's, he's done his use for us. And some people treat God that way. They come to God when they're looking for the promotion. They come to God when they're facing an illness. They come to God when they really want to be married or have a child. And once God answers their prayer, they kind of just set him aside. Okay, God, you've done what I needed you to do. Let me just set you aside now. And that's what's happening to David. And we should not be surprised when people around us turn against us. Verse 13, so David and his men, about 600. Now, wait a minute. How many men did he have? He had 400. His army grew. He's in a cave, and then he goes down to face an enemy that's ten times his size, and he steps out in faith, and in the midst of the trials and the difficulty, his army grows. Only God can do that. And you know what, guys? In the midst of our trials and difficulty, if we'll trust God, we grow. Amen? Amen. We grow through trials, we grow through difficulty, because we get to see God work. And again, his army is growing, but the people are turning against him. It says, so he departed about 600, and they departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. He didn't even go down to check on his people that had just been in a battle. All he cared about was killing David. David's not there, then I have no reason to go. A godly response to the trials of life. Don't be surprised when people turn on you. Number five, know that the enemy never rests. Verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Now, Ziph, that word, means refining place. And it's believed that in that place there were minerals and there was also a, a place to refine those minerals. Now, the way that you refine them is you put them in, in great heat. And in that great heat, the dross or the impurities melt away. And the way that you know that it's become pure is in the end, you can look into the metal that is now pure and you can see your reflection. And this is such a clear picture that in the midst of the fiery places, as we are being refined by our Savior, the dross melts away, we become more like Him, 
And if we truly allow him to refine us completely, we'll be able to look and see his image, amen, in us. That's God's plan. That's God's design. And so he's in the wilderness of Ziph. He's in the refining place. And there Saul, it says, Saul sought him every day. You know, the place of refining is not an easy place to be. By the way, if you go to Israel with us, we're going to be right near this place. And this is one of the hottest places on the planet. It's right near the Dead Sea. It gets to be 130 to 140 degrees in the summer. Thanks for shopping, right? And I, I mean, I'm here walking around out there at night, and this was in uh, March, and we're walking around at night, and it's 95, which I actually love, by the way. But we're walking around at night, it's 95 degrees, and you look, and when you look around you, you see the most stark ground. I mean, there's no plants. It is, it is barren apart from where they've planted things. And that's where David was in that heat running from King Saul and Saul was seeking him every single day. This place was a place of refining spiritually and it was hot enough to refine you physically. And that's where David was. And guys, that's the way it is sometimes when we're going through the refiner's fire. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. In the end, we'll be more like our Savior. And isn't that what it's really all about? It's all about becoming more like Jesus. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 3. The the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And one of the things I love is they get thrown into the fire. And if you'll remember the story, they're in the fire and they were thrown and bound. And then, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? And then he throws them into the fire and he's looking into the fire and he doesn't see three anymore. He sees four. They were bound and now they're walking around in the fire. And it says the fourth one was in the likeness of the son of God. Jesus was in the fire with them. Amen. Oh, that's good stuff. Amen. And then he has to say, come out. He goes, who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. It's amazing how his attitude changed really quick. But I love the fact that they had to be called out of the fire. Think about that. He had to ask them to get out of the fire. You know why? Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? And so when we're in that refining time, when it can be a difficult place, there's no better place to be than walking with the Lord, being conformed into his image, even if it's physically difficult for a time. He became a man after God's own heart in the shepherd's field, but he's becoming a king in the wilderness. It's in those times of difficulty that preparation takes place. This time of great trials and tribulation. God's way isn't always easy, but indeed it's always worth it. And he's being molded into the image of a godly king. And so too, we have an enemy that seeks to kill and steal and destroy. So Saul's coming after him every day. There's an enemy that comes after you every day. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. This is not a physical battle we wage, it's a spiritual one. And so that means we have a spiritual enemy. Now, we should not be overwhelmed by that. We should recognize it, but we should remember again that God is greater. So, what Satan means for evil, God will use for good. The heat meant to destroy us will be the very thing that will conform us into the image of our Savior. Now look what it says. And it says there, Saul sought him every day. What are the next two words? Uh, Anybody awake? I'm just wondering. What are the next two words? But God. God. Now, underline that in your Bible if you underline stuff. 
Saul came after him every day, but God. The enemy is coming after you every day, but God. The good news is, God's in control, not the enemy. Amen? The enemy can come after you every day. Satan or Saul can do nothing without God's permission. And while the enemy never rests, neither does our Savior, neither does our Heavenly Father, neither does the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Man, the enemy, can intend, intend and attempt and work all kinds of evil, but God is still in control. It says, but God did not deliver him into his hand. The enemy can do nothing unless God allows it. You need to understand that. So that means if a trial comes our way, it had to go through the hands of God first before it gets to us. So if God allowed it to come, He wants to use it for His glory. Amen? So start seeing your trials from that perspective. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. So part of that area of Ziph, there were some trees, and he had retreated to that area, and he was hiding there. So a godly response to the trials of life be knit together in fellowship with mature believers. You know, we know that people are going to turn from us. We know there's an enemy that's out to come after us, but God is in control. But here's the key. We need to be knit together to other believers. Look at verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Saul hunted, David protected, Jonathan comforted. This is the body of Christ. There's an enemy who comes against us, but there's a God who is for us, and we have other believers who are around us. True friendship will not back down in times of danger, but will humble itself and even come and comfort us. Jonathan left the palace to go to the desert to comfort David. That's a friend. Amen? He left the place where he was comfortable and went to a place where it wasn't comfortable, knowing that his father might catch wind of it and still did it anyway. The Bible says a friend is a friend at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. You know who those are who are closest to you by those who stand with you when things are difficult. Jonathan helped him find his strength in the Lord. Even the spirit-filled man of God needed a brother to come alongside him and encourage him. So, Every one of us needs to be encouraged. Amen? Amen? Every one of us needs people to come alongside us and hold up our hands. Every one of us needs fellowship. We're to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together and all the more as the days approach. And he, he reminded him of God's promises. He took pleasure at the prospect of what was going to happen in David's life. Look at verse 17. He said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. And I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. What encouraging words from Jonathan. Jonathan said, Jonathan's next in line to be king. And he says, you know what, David? Everyone knows you're the king. Everyone sees God's hand upon your life. I'm not going to try to fight you for the position. I'll sit next to you and I'll be privileged to do that. David, you're God's man. Be encouraged. God's hand is upon you. If you're here tonight and you're going through a tough time, you're a child of, of, the, of the living God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves you. He sent his son because he'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. No matter what's going on in the world around you, he loves you. And he's a faithful God. And you're going to spend an eternity in his presence. You need to be reminded of that. And get your eyes off the circumstances that are temporary. And get your eyes on the God who's eternal. Amen? Amen. Set your mind on him. 
So he didn't just sympathize with his trial, but he reminded him of the greatness of God. And every one of us indeed needs a Jonathan in our life. Verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. They'd already made this covenant before. The word covenant there means cut covenant. They would take an animal, cut it in half, and they would walk in between it, the two halves of it, before the Lord. And it was basically showing the level of their commitment to each other that if either one of us breaks this covenant, this is what will happen to us. We will be killed. We are literally laying down our lives for each other. And we're doing it before Almighty God. So they renewed their vow. You know what? We need to renew our vows. We need to renew our vows with our spouses on a daily basis. Tell them you love them. Amen? Amen. We need to renew our our commitment to our children. And you know what? More important than all of that, we need to renew our intimate fellowship with the Lord every single day. We need to come before Him, tell Him that we love Him, enter into fellowship with Him. And again, this is what David and Jonathan do, and this is the last time they're going to see each other. Unbeknownst to them, they will never see each other again. A godly response to the trials of life, take the way of escape, verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul of Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hills of Hakalah, which in the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part will be deliver him into, your, into the king's hands. Why in the world are all these people so faithful to this worthless king? Isn't it amazing? He's in the land with the Ziphites. Now, the Ziphites are also from the tribe of Judah. David is of the tribe of Judah. Jesus will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. and He'll be a son of David, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Now, what's interesting is that his own people are turning their back on him. And I've said this many times. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Jonathan is standing with him. His own people are turning against him. Some of you, you're going to be on fire for God and you're going to have family members who turn against you, who mock you, who look at you and think you're out of your mind and yet you're going to have those in the body of Christ who will come alongside you and hold up your hands. And that's what we're seeing here. David's own people turning against him, yet Jonathan, his brother in the faith, standing with him. And then it says... Verse 21, and King Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord. There he goes again. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Here's pious words of a hypocrite. Now, I won't say who, I thought of a few people when I read these words. There's people that dress up in a lot of religious garb and say a lot of words that have absolutely no meaning. Amen. Amen. Go around saying they're the only way, they're the only path, they're the only true church, and that's not true. Jesus is the way, not the church. Amen? Amen. We are the church, and we become the church because we get in line with Jesus, who is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and the only hope. Don't put your faith in a church, a building, a denomination, only in Jesus Christ our Savior, because only He died on the cross, and only He paid the price. Amen? Amen? And so we see here are very pious words from a man in a position of great authority and they mean absolutely nothing because he's speaking contrary to the word of God. He talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. He was outward pious, but he was inwardly lost. And indeed, he was a tool of the enemy, seeking to kill the very man that God had anointed to be the next king over Israel. And he blesses the Ziphites for their traitorous and wicked behavior. Again, don't put your faith in the word of any man. Put your faith in the word 
of God. Verse 22. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout the, land, the clans of Judah. Now what's interesting, he's telling his own people not only to give him up but to go find him. Imagine calling your brothers in and your earthly brother, go find him, go seek, you know, which house of yours is he? Go find him for me and then bring him to me. And this is basically what King Saul is asking. And the Ziphites, who are not seeking God, we see no prayer here. We see them only heeding the words of a sinful man instead of seeking the word of God. It's interesting, in Psalm 54, David refers to this very incident. And he calls the Ziphites strangers. He said, now, they are, his, they are of his own tribe. These are his people. And he says, the Ziphites, are, they are strangers that have been raised up against me, but God is my helper. The Ziphites are strangers. Those very people that are of you know, my tribe, my people, my line, they're coming against me. They're strangers to me, but God is my helper. You know what? Again, we have more in common by the Holy Spirit than we ever do by the blood that flows through our veins. Verse 24. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. You know what? I love the fact that he went down to the rock. Because you know what? We have the rock who we turn to. Jesus is our rock, amen? He is indeed the rock of ages. And we turn to Him. We should run to Him during times of trial, during times of difficulty. Don't run to the world, run to the rock. And He stayed there in the wilderness. He continued on. He was still in the midst of His trial, but in the midst of His trial, the rock was there. And in the midst of our trials, our rock is with us. Verse 26, Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. David was trapped. He had taken the way of escape. He had fled the way the Lord and the Holy Spirit had directed him. He was pursuing after God. God was leading the way. But if you really take a look at this, at this point he's backed up in the mountains, and he's surrounded. He's literally on a mountain. Saul's on the other side. He's coming around. You know what? At this point, he doesn't know David's there, but he's sending his men around on both sides of this mountain. And when they get to the other side, they're going to find David there. There's no hope. There's no escape. That's when we get to watch God work. You know, when they were backed up to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is coming. That's when you get to see God work. And right now, David's in a place where it seems there's no hope, there's no escape, only God can deliver us, and sometimes that's the best place to be. Point number eight, trust God to protect you. Look at verse 27 and 28. It says this, But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Isn't it amazing, the timing of that? David's surrounded. The army's coming out against him. He's, he's backed in. He's got nowhere to go. They're coming around. They're going to discover him any moment. This one who, who Saul wants to kill desperately, the only focus and passion of his life. And as they're about to get to him, the Philistines attack. God can use even 
the world to bring about his will. Verse 28, therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Again, this was the place where he escaped because God was with him. You've heard me say it before. You're indestructible until God is through with you. Nothing can happen to you until God allows it. God's not done with David. They can throw as many spears as they want, bring out as many giants as they want, bring out as great an army as they want, have them surrounded in any situation they want, but God is still in control and is still faithful. And guys, if he allows the trial to come, it's for our growth. Last verse, and the last point, let the Holy Spirit refresh you. In times of trial and difficulty, let the Holy Spirit refresh you. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. Now En Gedi means spring of wild goats. If you go to Israel with us, it is one of the most beautiful places on this planet, and it is in the middle of the desert. And they call it, it's interesting, spring of wild goats. And I was teaching uh, chapter 24, which we'll look at next week. And while I was teaching, standing there a year and a half ago, all these people were, I noticed they kept looking up behind me. And I'm teaching. Finally, I turned around, and literally the place, there's wild goats as far as you can see in every direction all around us. So it's called the place of wild goats, and it was, you know, 2,500 years, more than, you know, 3,000 years ago, and it still is today. It hasn't changed. But in the midst of that place, in the midst of the desert, in En Gedi, you go in there, and there are some of the most beautiful waterfalls falling in the desert. And this is where David went after fleeing the trials of life, after taking the way of, of escape, and he was refreshed by God. You know what? When Jesus was drawn out into the wilderness and was tempted by the Lord, after that, the angels came and refreshed him, it says in Matthew 4. Later, it says in John 7, speaking of, you know, all you who, who labor and are heavy, like, come to me. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. He that believeth in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what, guys? When we resist temptation, the Lord comes alongside us and he refreshes us. Amen. When you are standing and you have an opportunity to take the way of escape, when you do, the Lord is there to refresh you. So in times of trial... A godly response in times of trial and difficulty is to take that way of escape and then to be refreshed by the Lord. He wants to refresh us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to bless us. So in closing, a godly response to the trials of life. Number one, look for opportunities to minister to others. It's amazing how much our, how much our trials go away when we just stop looking at ourselves all the time. Amen? Number two, ask God for direction. Always seek His face. Number three, obey God rather than man. Number four, don't be surprised when people turn on you. It's not, your faith is not in people, it's in the Lord. Number five, know that the enemy never rests, but remember that your God is greater. Number six, be knit together in fellowship with mature believers. We need people around us to encourage us and to hold up our hands. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Number seven, take the way of escape. He always brings it. Let's be obedient to take it. Number eight, trust that God will respect you. And nine, let the Holy Spirit refresh you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you for its practical application for us today. Thousands of years after it took place. Lord, we can learn so much from David's trials, David's difficulties, David's mistakes. But also, Lord, from David's faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that we would be men and women after your own heart. Following David's example that in the times when he did blow it, he repented. He got right with you. Help us to be those, Lord, that 
in our times of trial and difficulty, Lord, that we would turn to you, not from you. Lord, that we would see in the midst of our trials that you're with us and you want to use us and you want to be glorified in them. So Lord, we come humbly and broken before you. We ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that you would use us, these marred and imperfect vessels for your glory. We continue to lift up this county to you, Lord. Bring revival here. Start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.